everyone welcome back to another episode of don't be so dramatic my name is rachel and this is the podcast where i talk to different people in the entertainment industry to discover what their job involves and how they got there for this week's episode i have with me megan riakos megan is a director and writer she's also a producer she's very slashy as like a lot of us are in the industry when we're creating our own work um so she's done many many things and has some great advice she's also on the board for wift australia now wift stands for women in film and tv and is a fantastic organization which is basically just trying to move our industry towards gender equality and diversity in the Australian content that we're producing which is so great. Um, I'm currently doing the mentorship program through WIFT which I've mentioned in a previous episode and so we also talk about that and the things that they're kind of putting in place for our industry in order that we have new and exciting voices coming through which is amazing Um, we also talked about some really great tips that she had in terms of being an independent filmmaker and making content without a million dollar budget because really who has a million dollars to work with not a lot of us and so Megan gives some amazing tips and tricks that she used with her feature film Crushed and also other projects that she's done in order to create an amazing um, production you know without the the skyrocketing budget which is super important um, in terms of when you are creating a project it's definitely something that you need to think about Also, I just wanted to quickly say, um, I just came to my two-year anniversary with the podcast yesterday. It's been two years since I've posted my first episode and I just, I I know I, I say this often, but I just really wanted to say a massive massive thank you to every single person who has ever listened to my podcast who has supported me through this it's just been amazing like I it just it's been such an amazing opportunity for me to meet new people and amazing people in the industry and without your guys support I just would not be doing it anymore so thank you thank you thank you so much for listening and without further ado let's jump in Hi, Megan. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming in. I was saying to you, this is my first in-person podcast since the whole coronavirus thing, saga, if you will. Um, (laughs) So I'm very excited. We're not sitting like directly next to each other (laughs) for anyone that's worried, Um, but I'm super excited to have you here. So you are, let me get, you're a director, a producer, a writer and you're on the board of WIFT, which is Women in TV and Film. Is that, have I covered all bases there? Well, and an acting teacher as well. Well, well, I think when you're in the film industry, you probably need to wear at least a dozen hats. (laughs) Otherwise, you're not having a go. Exactly. Yeah. No, look, um, I'm trained as a a writer and a director. So that's my background and that's my passion. Mm -hmm. Um, Producing has happened because of necessity. I think I have all the skills and I'm, 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 I'm quite good at 
producing. I don't love it, but I do it in order to enable my writing and directing. Same. Um, exactly. Same. And I think that's the thing, you know, there's a romantic idea that uh, as, a, as a creative or as an artist, you can just focus on that stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, a, a myth that is not true for the majority of us. And we have to be entrepreneurs and we have to think about the business side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, when I released my first feature, um, Crushed, back in 2015, 16, um, I I had a lot of experiences around, um, negative experiences about around being a woman in the industry, which compelled me to the kind of take a stand, I guess, for gender advocacy. And that's what led me to um, uh, becoming the president of Women in Film and TV New South Wales, and then um, founding along with several other people, including Katrina Irrawaddy Graham, who's our chair, women in film and television Australia so yeah Mm. Um, and then amidst all that I teach as well Um, you know I do a bunch of other stuff as we all do to kind of make ends meet Um, but yeah yeah I want to quickly touch on what we were literally just talking about um, is the teaching aspect (laughs) during this time so you're currently teaching um, screen acting at QUT and um, I guess you can tell the story about how yeah. you've dealt with um, having to teach your class over Zoom with scene partners. Um, yeah, I think it's hilarious in like a no, not a bad way. I just think it's hilarious that this is like come out of this situation. So please tell the story. Yeah. So I picked up um, just a sessional teaching job at QUT for screen acting. And normally that class would be delivered in person. Um, and it would be a soapy, a 20 minute soapy script that they would shoot in a studio with three cameras. And so obviously everyone is in isolation and they still wanted to um, deliver a screen acting experience. And with the majority of the students having a theater background, it it was kind of the whole point of that set like that module was around being directed in a camera around a camera and a screen environment getting used to kind of being on set and so um, I was brought on board to kind of help figure out and then teach how that would happen and so um, it actually ended up working a lot better than I thought it would Uh, but we you know we had you know a dinner party scene with four people (laughs) That should be around a table in real life. I love that. And they're in four different um, different houses in their own, you know, backyards. We made different it. Different tables. Different tables. And, you know, we figured out, you know, the logistics of what would the location in the virtual space look like. And then we placed each actor in that virtual location. And then we figured out all their eye lines. And we did, you know, scene table runs on Zoom and things like that. And then we set up a camera. Well, each of them obviously have, everyone has phones these days that have decent cameras on them. So we, you know, um, the tech team at QUT figured out, you know, the settings everyone should have and made sure everyone oh. could use them. And, um, you know, so we set up the each of the shots for each of the actors and we shot one camera at a time so it's a single shoot single camera (laughs) shoot and um I directed them via zoom while they you know pushed record on the on the camera and um yeah so they still got a screen experience and they probably got more technical knowledge out of it than um a regular module because they had to set the camera up they had to understand where they should be in the frame they had to understand more about eye lines and um so yeah it was it was it was really fun but it was Mm. a real challenge oh for sure an exhausting challenge but yeah, it's int- I mean, you know, we were saying that um, scene work is completely different to filming a self-tape, but I think from this experience, 
um, once they go out into the world and um, start doing auditions and whatnot, they're going to be like, oh, self-tapes, yeah, I know how to do them. That's fine. So that's a really interesting experience to have, which you yeah. wouldn't normally have when studying no. at drama school. No, and I, and that kind of goes back, I think, again, as well to being an entrepreneur. It's, mm. it's like, you know, um, as an actor, um, generally an actor has to wait for somebody to give them a role. Yes. But if you start having confidence in how to use the camera inbuilt on your phone, there's still content that you can be making that, yeah, look, it's not going to necessarily be something you're going to broadcast, but you can create small pieces of content for yourself to practice and and, and even, you know, to release as web series or whatever like that. So um, you're always being creative, you're sharpening your tools, you're creating relationships with people, all of that stuff, which is really important for building a career. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I've, you know, filmed little skits and stuff in the past, literally just on my phone. And, you know, you just upload them to Instagram. And it's funny how many people don't realize that you're just using your phone to shoot it, which is like, it's amazing. You know, we have all these tools so readily available to us now I just back in the day trying to be an actor I think you know we're so much better off nowadays so we should really kind of use the tools that are at our fingertips um, which is great yeah and I think the other thing as well is is it's such working in the screen industry or any of the arts really it's such a tough um, slog in order and can be a long time between drinks between projects and mm-hmm. you can get really down when you're not I know personally if I'm not actively working on a project I get really down so I'm like quick think of a project to work on but, <laughs> but I'm a writer so for me only myself is stopping me from writing mm. and so um, it's finding ways to still feed your creativity in those moments when there isn't an external Um, way for that to happen Mm. so yeah yeah I agree with that I think that I think every conversation that I have with actors in the industry everyone kind of knows now that you just can't be sitting around waiting for that role to come through Mm. you can't be like oh I'm just going to be an actor and that even goes up to like you know the big actors in Hollywood I was talking to Claire Vanderboom a couple of weeks ago and she was saying you know she has friends that are those kind of big stars in quotation marks in Hollywood and yet they're you know becoming producers and whatnot because in between their massive jobs they've got these lulls that they need to fill so it's kind of and it's nice to know that you can kind of take control of your career in that way rather than just relying on others to kind of make or break your career. I think that that can kind of be Mm. a bit depressing sometimes. Well, and also the branding of and the direction of your career. So, Mm. you know, I think, you know, some of those big actors may only get very particular kinds of roles because they're blockbusters and particularly women who have um, don't necessarily have fully formed three-dimensional roles to choose from (laughs) that a lot of those actors are now going and having their own production companies because they're creating roles that they want to that they want to play I Mm -hmm. mean you know Margot Robbie Reese Witherspoon yeah you know there's so many of them like why wait around for yet another crap role when you can make your own (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and I think it's like it's really cool as well you know I mean why would you want to be just an actor 
it's kind of fun to be able to do other things in the industry and to be like, well, I want to play this type of character. Oh, wait, I can. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. Because it was the full expression of being an actor then. Yeah. Really? So yeah. it's, um, you know, an actor that uh, has agency mm-hmm. in the roles that they wish to play. Mm. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm just going to put my... I'm like... <laughs> This is a very casual one. I'm just trying to put my water bottle down without making a sound. (laughs) Okay, we're fine. Um, So what initially drew you to the creative industry? Um, I know, I feel like a lot of people, you know, have obviously grown up, you know, as as a creative child and have kind of followed that into university. Was that kind of the same for you? Well, I came from um, a first generation, I'm first generation Australian. So my dad is Lebanese and my mum is from America Mm -hmm. and they got together really young. So they were young parents and we had a big family, working class, living in inner city, Sydney in Redfern. Um, And we're not an RT family at all, a really sporty family. You know, my dad was a footy player, you know, that kind of thing. And so I grew up playing heaps of sports and and, um, was an athlete during my teens so um, a distant runner Um, and actually those skills have served me really really well in the arts ironically Um, because our career is like a marathon (laughs) 100% but I think it's also like when you when you are an athlete so much of your time is training and Mm. nobody's watching you when you're training and no one cares if you win or lose when you're training no one cares if you do put in the amount of effort that's required. It's all the motive, all of that motivation is, is you and you have to step up and no one's going to give you a pat on the back for it. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what we do in our industry all the time. When you show up at the page to write, you know, when you go to your voice classes, when you, all those things that you do, it's training. And, you know, we're an athlete. There might be one big race yeah. a year. You know, you do a lot of smaller races that lead to that big race, but you know, there's, it's kind of like training for that one film that you're making that mm, year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, long story short, um, I didn't have, I, I always, I was always a creative kid. I was always writing stories and putting plays on and making my siblings be in these plays, <laughs> yeah. but no one around me was in the arts. And I, I didn't realize that there was actually the option of being in the arts. Um, and it wasn't until I went to high school and I did drama and really loved drama, but I did a media studies class, um, where we were studying a bunch of different films and we watched this amazing film called they shoot horses, don't they? And it was just such, yeah, it's what like, a title. <laughs> I know it was, it's a pretty bloody depressing film, but an amazing film. And, um, when I watched that, it really made me question, um, I, I, I really love films that make you, um, not necessarily question your beliefs, but challenge your idea of what the world is mm. and um, the, how powerfully it can communicate those ideas. And I, I think also, you know, obviously I'm an advocate for gender equality. I care about social issues. I think it's that idea of um, art is a Trojan horse to spread ideas that you think are important. Mm-hmm. And I don't a think I... A thousand percent. Yeah. And I don't think I would have worded it that way when I watched that movie yeah. when I was in year 10. But it definitely... Because um, I was always interested in... I was interested in, in drama and stuff at school, but it was media studies when I saw the power of film that I was like, oh my God, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I was 16 and I was like, I want to do that. And I looked up, you know how do I get into the film industry and found that UTS was running a course Bachelor of Arts Communication and Media Arts and it was really new so this is back in 
I started university in 2000. So film was still pretty, it wasn't, it's not what it is today because you couldn't shoot on your phone. You couldn't get access to equipment the way you could now. So it was much more exclusive in a negative way. So long story short, I, you know, got into university and that is where I, uh, you know, um, really kind of sunk my teeth in and set me on the path to being um, a director. Mm, Amazing. I definitely, like, I I think I always mention this on the podcast, but um, I definitely agree that, you know, um, film and TV can be such a vessel to talk about difficult ideas of life you know Mm. especially comedy because I love comedy that's why I talk about it so much (laughs) um but yeah I think that you know with a lot of um like Fleabag is such I always talk about Fleabag it's so amazing but such a good example of like how do we approach the idea of grief and Mm. dealing with grief in a kind of strange and maybe not so healthy way Mm. it's such a a great way to be like to laugh at that and then to look at yourself Mm. um so I I love that about film and tv and that's kind of sometimes what I try and do with my work as well is try to be like how can we make this really hard idea funny Mm. because if we can laugh at it then it kind of everyone relaxes it diffuses it diffuses the tension and you know for hard subject matter it's like it's very difficult it's like that whole idea if you're really really it's like conceiving ideas if you're conceiving ideas and you're really tense and tight no Mm. ideas will come to you but if you relax then you're open to new ideas and and so I guess it's um comedy that's the beauty of comedy isn't it Mm -hmm. it truly is I love it um now so you you just I know that you've gone over to America to study as well yeah and did you start was it it I can't remember my my stalking is just gone from my brain (laughs) Uh, was it writing or directing that you went to Um, study for writing so I did the um undergraduate at UTS Mm -hmm. then I studied at the Australian Film Television Radio School directing so yeah. that was 2009 and 10 and then um I wanted um so at, by that point I'd written a few feature films so I didn't feel like I needed to be taught writing but I I wanted to have um deadlines and feedback and mm. I found this great option at UCLA so um they do a professional screenwriters program where over three so they have three semesters in a year and it's a part-time course over three semesters you have to write two full feature scripts and I was like I'm in that's like a really big thing to do yeah so it was like you know first class pitch your idea second class write the one pager third class deliver 10 pages that Ah. kind of thing so yeah it was um it was exactly what I needed and um part of that I did part of that course on the two first two semesters I did online and then I went and studied for the third semester in the states um and I had actually um lived and worked in in LA previously so when I first left UTS I just moved over to Hollywood and um, just started working over there so because my mum is from the states I had citizenship and was able to do that love that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I I, because I had that kind of um, history I think in in LA and I had a lot of friends there from my previous time there it was an easy uh, way for me to kind of go back via studying Mm. Um, but yeah and what the really great thing that came out of that course was the um, script that I ended up making. So Crushed, my first feature, is what I wrote at UCLA. Oh, okay. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And that was part yeah. of the reason I, I was like, I need to make a low-budget film and I need some deadlines. And so 
that, that was, was it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Did you find that um, studying over in America? Well, I mean, because your mum was American, you were probably familiar with that culture anyway. But I wonder if there were any um, kind of really distinct differences mm. from studying here to over there. Well, I think because of the nature of the course, um, it's a little bit hard to tell because it wasn't a full-blown like bachelor degree or something like that. But I think culturally there are some pretty big differences, I think, between that I've noticed between moving between here and the States. And I feel like um, that Australians are really hard workers like really hard workers. I've heard that said. Yeah, and <laughs> and um, not to say that there's not Americans who are really hard workers, but I feel like that Australians know uh, have a much understanding of how difficult the industry is. Mm-hmm. And again, this is generalizing that we know that we have to work really hard if we're going to stand a chance. Yes. And so when I did first move over to the states and started working, so I worked on a whole bunch of independent films and. Um, and movie of the weeks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of around that first, that entry level of crew and stuff. So this is back when I was in my early 20s. And, you know, there were people who had moved to LA because they wanted to make it in the screen industry. And I was like, oh, yeah, thinking, oh, you know, they've been making their own films and they've been doing this stuff and getting their skill set up. And now they've decided to make the big move. And only to find out that they pretty much had no history in the film industry and, and no history of making their own work, but they had this passion but not necessarily much that they'd done with that passion. Mm-hmm. What they had done with that passion was moved there. And I was like, wow. If a str- I guess maybe because for us to make the move across the pond, it's a very, yeah. very big pond. Yeah. And so we, we, we will probably prepare ourselves a lot more. And so that means mm-hmm. when we arrive there, we have got more, I guess, a better solid base. For sure. Yeah. And I think that it is kind of a... It's, there's this saying that Americans love English and Australian actors because they know that they're trained, mm. which is very interesting. I mean, you know, there are American actors that are definitely trained and that put the work in. Um, but I think I completely agree with you. I, mm. I would imagine that there's so many people that are like, I want to be an actor, so yeah, yeah. I'm going to move to LA yeah. and someone's going to see the the light the inside of me yeah, and yeah. yeah, I'm just going to make it because Hollywood is where dreams happen and it's yeah. like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and look, you know, there's, there's, I think maybe, you know, when I moved over there, it was a long time ago now um, and a lot of things have changed around the proliferation of film schools. So now mm. there are actually a lot more people going to film schools and things yes. like that. And again, you, it is easier to get hold of equipment and things like that. But yeah, I do think I do think there's a reason why we have a reputation for being hard workers. And I think mm. also a reputation for being really um, innovative and um, having um, being able to work, uh, I guess, you know, in that indie filmmaker mindset of, of making do with what you have to deliver a strong result. A hundred percent. I think we have, we have such a vast number of independent filmmaking mm. people, um, especially in Sydney, um, because there isn't as many projects like um, large budget projects yeah. happening here. So what else do yeah, you do? outside the system here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the other thing, I mean, I would say that is that the Americans have on us <laughs> <laughs> is, is the Americans don't judge 
the way we judge. I think yeah. that in Australia, if you make a film that doesn't work, you get judged really harshly and it is difficult for you. Mm. Whereas in America, they are like, you know what? Good on you. It's really bloody hard to make an independent film mm. and you did it. So learn from that and you make your next film better. And I think in Australia, we still have a little bit of a, a snooty attitude to independent filmmaking and mm-hmm. also which is really harmful, I think, to creative people is this idea that to be an artist means to be perfect when in fact to be an artist is is to fail. Yeah. If you're not failing as an artist, then you're not pushing the envelope and you're not growing. A hundred percent. I think often I will say to people that have short films or that have films that are like, I want to, you know, put it online, but... I'm just so scared that it's, you know, it's not going to be good. I'm like, put it up because then you get to put up your next film, which is better. Mm. And you get to show people that you learned, yeah. that you're yeah. growing because you, you're you not going to be perfect coming into the film industry. Yeah. And you're not going to be perfect at the end of your career either. And I think, you know, it's, it's because that there is a bit of exclusivity yeah. in the kind of heads of our industry, unfortunately. But luckily, they'll probably be dead in the next <laughs> however long. So. How long can you wait it out? Oh, I can wait <laughs> forever. Have you, got, have you got lots of snacks? I'm just going to sit here and wait. And then we will all come through and be the heads of the industry <laughs> and things will have changed. Yes. And in the meantime, sharpen your skills. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Go to class. Yeah. <laughs> Go to class. That's right. <laughs> um, so when I was looking at um, your film Crushed, it was uh, the first thing that came to mind. I was like, why do people not make more films in wine areas of Australia. It was stunning. I was like, oh my God, yes, we have wineries. I forgot, we have vineyards. Oh my God. So from the get-go, like stunning cinematography, which is amazing. What kind of um, made you want to make a film based there in Mudgee? Well, it was the independent filmmaker ideology, which is, okay, we don't have much money. I, I had an idea. So it's a mystery thriller. Um, it's a mystery thriller about a woman who's been estranged from her family. And then when her dad dies in a winery accident, so she goes home for the funeral only to find out it wasn't an accident, but a murder. Mm-hmm. And her mum's the prime suspect. So that, that storyline I had, but it wasn't set in a vineyard. So I came up with this storyline and it was just, I hadn't set it anywhere. So I'd want, I was really interested in this idea of intrigue, in family dynamics, in these ideas that we have secrets secrets that not even your closest the people you know closest have to you and so that was the kind of stuff I was interested in exploring and I was like okay if I want to make this as an independent film and I have no money how do I distinguish this from every other mystery film about families because there's a bazillion of them (laughs) and so I just started going through and thinking okay what do I have access to and um so um that winery is actually a friend of mine I went to school with it's her dad's yeah and so about five years before that we had a girls weekend and they had this old workers cottage and we stayed in there and and I was like you know at the time I was like oh wouldn't it be amazing to shoot a film here like a romantic comedy Mm -hmm. and then um you know forgot about it and then when I was kind of brainstorming ideas of of where we could set this mystery um I thought oh my gosh that would be amazing Mm -hmm. and you know I hadn't seen any mysteries set in vineyards and I was like what a what a a place ripe for kind of you know um just grab hold of it (laughs) pun intended hey the title of the film is called crushed yes the the dad 
is crushed by a wine barrel. So, and, you know. And also you crush grapes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I'm all up for the puns. Yeah. I think that's such a great example of using what you have to yep. make an independent film. And, you know, not everyone is going to have access to a winery, but some people might have access to something else. That's you right. know, I yeah. think calling upon those things that you can rather than paying thousands of dollars for a location is a really smart way to save money making an independent film. Mm. And I think what I often come across in people's scripts that they're writing for independent films is they basically throw in about 40 different locations and you're like, how are you going to pay for this? And they, like, as a writer, don't really think about that aspect. Mm. So... Another great example of that is when Saw was at Tropfest and that was just, you know, shot mostly, they, I think the short film was just the in the one room where the two guys are chained up. Um, that's an, that's a, another great example of just having one location and doing so much with that location. Yeah. I think it's such an important point to make independent filmmaking as easy on yourself as possible well and it's also um we had a a saying that we came up with and we called whenever an obstacle or a challenge or something was like okay well this actor can't make it now to Mudgee, which is a four hour drive what are we going to do now Mm. and instead of going holy crap what are we going to do it'd be like let's use this as a creative opportunity a cropportunity <laughs> oh so no it's a like opportunity. yeah so let's like spin this and think okay um you know it's like you know isn't it necessity is the mother of all invention that idea of um having to quickly think of your feet brings new creative ideas that are potentially better than what the original one was so yeah. and i think that's the beauty of filmmaking you know if you want every little thing to be perfect then maybe film's not right for you because mm-hmm. because no matter how amazing you are no matter how much money you have it's a team sport and every single person brings something of themselves to a film set and to a film project that you can't ever predict the final outcome you just Mm -hmm. cannot you can absolutely I mean it's the director's job to have a, a really strong vision and to guide everybody but I love the fact that when my actors come on set they bring more than I ever could that's mm. why you do film. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? A hundred percent. I always say a hundred percent. I'm so sorry for people who find that <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Is this like a What's drinking it? game? <laughs> Please make it into one. Um, and then tell me what the outcome was. <laughs> um, I was just speaking to one of my friends um, on a script that he's just written. And he was voicing his concerns to me um, about bringing a producer on that he didn't know because you know there's all these horror stories in the industry about people who have had to deal with producers who Mm. have come on and then um kind of been like well I'm the producer and this is what I want to change about this project and then kind of things change for the worse and he was also saying about you know in the past, he's worked with actors mm. who have had um, poor attitudes about their work. And so the work has turned out really shit because yeah. of their attitude. And so he was really like, I'm kind of nervous about going in and making this script yeah. because I just don't want those things to happen again. Mm. And it's kind of like my advice was like, I think you just have to have more confidence in yourself for picking who is right. That's right. You know? I think I think the thing is, is you, for me, choosing a producer is like a marriage. Mm-hmm. You don't just 
marry the first person you meet mm-hmm. or you might but maybe not the minute you meet them yes that's right <laughs> Do you know what I mean and look yeah. I think there's a couple of there's a couple of things in that in what you've just said there I think part of that is around um you know doing your due diligence if there's a producer that you want to work with um and you're looking at signing them onto your project then um ask other people who've worked with them and ask yeah. them, you know, what was their personality like? How was their work ethic? Uh, how, what are their values like? For me personally, I, I need to have similar values to the to, to the producer. Yeah, um, And so it's just like any relationship. What's important to you and what's not? And also what are the expectations? So, um, and all of this stuff I would highly, highly, highly recommend that you, before you start making the film, that you work out contracts that state very clearly who has the copyright, what control each party has, and not just that, but if if um, if there were to be a split, mm-hmm. it's almost like a, almost like a prenup. Mm. <laughs> if there were to be a split, you know, this is just general business stuff. If you have a partnership agreement with somebody and you know that it's not working out for whatever reason, and it might just be that um, you know people have other projects to go on to, and yeah. it's time to part. Well, how do you do that parting? It's a lot easier to work out all those details before you've actually started the project and have become emotionally involved and everyone can objectively say, yep, this is fair. And mm. then if, if there, that needs to happen, then you can go back to that paperwork and go, okay, well, this is what we agreed to. Let's follow this process. Yeah. But the other thing I would have to say that I think is really, really important and, and we definitely did this on Crushed was we cast our crew. Mm. And we cast our cast not just for the role, but for the kind of film we were making. Mm-hmm. And when I say kind of film, I'm saying this is an independent film with no trailers. We're out in the Australian summer in, you know, literally 35 to 40 degree heat. There's no air conditioning. You know, people are staying in the caravan park. You know, my parents catered and their food was great. Yeah. But it's not fancy pants catering, you know. So do not hire an actor who is not going to be okay with that. Mm. It doesn't. There's nothing wrong with the fact that they're not okay with that. They might be beyond that. They've done plenty of those indie films. They don't want yes. to be there. Yeah. But cast your crew and cast your cast wisely. They need to mm. fit into the tone of the kind of film you're making in the process, not just the film itself. And then the other thing I was going to say is, is all of our heads of department were at a similar level to me. So I had studied with pretty much – I had studied or worked with every single head of department and a lot of the people in the roles below, not all, mm-hmm. but we all had something to gain out of making this independent film. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, I didn't feel like any of the heads of department were doing me this massive favor. We were in it together. We all wanted this film to be created. We, we, we were all learning. We were all gaining. And I think that's the thing as well. If somebody's going to, it doesn't mean that you can't work with people who are more experienced than you, but you need to also understand what is it that you can offer them you know, yes. sometimes you might have a more experienced crew member who really is re- really happy to come and work on your film because they've been working on, you know, shit TV and really want to get that passion back of filmmaking. So they'll come and work on your film. And so they are getting something out of it. Mm. They're not getting anything out of it. And they're not going to be happy two weeks into the shoot when you're doing nights and it's really hot and it's crap. Yeah. <laughs> And all you have is wine. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, only consolation. It's good wine, though. Yes, I imagine so. Um, I think there's this kind of fear around with independent filmmaking, obviously, when you want to sell a film, you think, oh, in terms of actors, I need to get a known 
person yes. on and so I think sometimes people talk up their films too much in order to sign someone like that on yeah and then right. that's where the um the challenge lies the challenge yeah. lies exactly and I think I, I I understand that but mind you I also people whatever level you are making a film yeah you're always going to be able to find good actors there's yeah. always good actors and bad actors at whatever level of the industry you are in and so I think it's taking the time and effort um, to find, the, like you were saying, the correct people for those roles rather than kind of, I guess, um, looking at the marketing aspect of things over who mm. fits the role best, you know? Yeah, look, I think they're both really important. They so, are. So it is around, you know, like I'm thinking about this now, looking at potential casting options for the next film and going, we definitely need to have a name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also can't work with assholes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so mm. something's going to be on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look, there are, there's plenty of great people. And the other thing as well is, is in Australia, um, you know, like we had Les Hill and Roxanne Wilson on Crushed and, you know, both of them only worked a couple of days on mm. the, on the whole film, but they still have a very big presence in the film. So, yes. so the thing is, is if you can create um, a juicy role for, for a name actor and you make it as easy as possible for them to come, um, and obviously you do your background and you make sure that they're, you know, go- going to be okay with this kind of production. Mm. Um, and um, you can actually shoot them out quite quickly if you're mm-hmm. doing an independent film and get that star power you can put on your poster when you're not necessarily paying them for three weeks or six weeks or whatever of the shoot. And the same with our most of the most recent project, Dark Whispers, which is a horror anthology feature that we've got coming out now. Um, We had Andrea Dimitriades. And so, you know, we we had her for one day only because she was in the midst of doing a big theatre run Mm -hmm. and she only had Sundays off. So we were like, okay, let's try and shoot all of her scenes in the Sunday. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were able to make that happen because she's such a... um, She's like, she just brings her A game, you know, you get your first take and you've got it kind of thing. I mean, we mm. did more than one take, but not much more than yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. I think this is such good advice that people just need to be reminded of, to be honest with you. Um, now, with your, f- I read the article that I feel like I'm just saying, like, I've really <laughs> stalked you before this interview. Um, I read your article that you wrote for Inside Film magazine, and that was basically about your experience with the Actor Awards yeah. in entering Crushed into it. And um, this was in 2016 when um, basically you'd been told, hey, maybe you should enter it and then they just didn't select your (laughs) film now the funny thing was which I um, didn't realize until um, reading your article was that I was actually at the actor awards arriving when you guys did the The sausage sausage fest (laughs) yes and like I was quite green to the industry at that point and so seeing um you guys doing that sausage protest it was kind of like a a bit eye-opening to me because I was kind of like just arriving and then that all happened and I was like oh oh okay because in my head I was just like an actor trying to work out how the hell I'm going to start out in the industry Mm. and then went oh there are all these other issues in our industry as well so um Yeah, so basically with entering the Actor Awards, um, it it was very interesting for me to read about, obviously, the the actors. I'm not too sure if it's changed now. I tried to 
um, research it, but they do not disclose who their judges are yep. for um, picking the films that get screened um, for, um, you know, awards and whatnot, blah, 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 whatever it is. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's just, to me, it kind of comes off as, you know, when you just don't want to disclose something because you know you're doing the wrong thing, mm. that kind of seems what this issue is it kind of seems like the actors do not want to disclose that the majority of their judging panel is straight white men and mind you there is nothing wrong with straight like white men we love straight white men (laughs) they're great but you cannot have a mixture of everyone's tastes in the world if that's all you're getting yeah you can't taste what a blue skittle is going to taste like if all you've got is green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I think, you know, they had said back, uh, to be honest, I haven't looked too closely in the last year um, at what's been going on on with the judging. Mm. The way that they're judging our area, though, now, um, the well, there there isn't the judging process that was in place when that protest happened. So basically, mm. um, without getting into too much details, people can check out, I'm sure if you... I will link the article below. Um. (laughs) If you you put Megan Rialk as an actor in Google, (laughs) it's pretty easy to find. But um, basically, um, it was a very opaque process Mm. that I went through. And it was not clear to me how any of the decisions were made. There was a second round of films that were then added after some industry um, uproar. And those extra four films that were added were all by men on top of the you know basically only seven percent of the features nominated for um uh best directing or you know were by women so um yeah after this article came out in the protest we did go go through a negotiation process actually so screen australia contacted us so this you know is is um me at WIFT New South Wales at this point because WIFT Australia didn't exist um and had said to us we want to know what's going on tell us your side of the story and when we told them you know the concerns that we had around um the um lack of transparency and you know just remember also that it costs almost a thousand dollars to enter this that's insane so it's not like oh you've you know you've put your 20 dollar entry in yeah like i wasn't going to enter because i thought oh, I, it doesn't seem that this is for me. Yeah, and financially viable. It doesn't seem financially viable and it's not very clear whether or not I'd even be eligible, so I'm not going to bother. And then, you know, when someone reaches out and says, no, no, you should enter because you'll get, like, you. it's for you. Um, so then you it's kind like, of go, I'll find that money, you know? Yeah, it's like someone yeah. when, I know that you're going to ask this guy out or girl, if you're into that, um, <laughs> I know you're going to ask this person yeah. out, um, but you're a bit scared to. So I think you should go yeah, and do it. Just, just saying. Just, just, yeah. just go and ask them out. Yeah. And you go, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I will. And then you go and ask them out. And what do they Jokes do? Jokes on you. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it seems yes. like. <laughs> yeah. So after, um, after the protests, and then you know, uh, Screen Australia, and you know, we're also part of the screen industry. Uh, group so all of the guilds meet and talk about issues in the industry and stuff like that um we then went to the table we flew down to melbourne and um uh you know had a 90 minute meeting over this issue and uh policy was changed 
Amazing. Yeah. So this is before, up until this point, I wasn't um, an, an advocate really in any way. It was that I could see, you know, I had to think really long and hard about whether or not I should say anything. I mean, this is quite some time ago now, 20, at the end of 2016, early 2017. Yeah. Um, but I didn't think that my voice ma- made a difference. And um, I thought really long and hard about writing that letter because I thought, God, now I'm going to be blacklisted in the industry. And I thought, what do I care? I'm already, I'm not in the industry. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, I'm not being taken seriously. My stories don't matter. Women don't matter. So if I don't say anything, then the same thing will happen next time. So if I do say something and they blacklist me, it's not any worse off than if I don't say anything and maybe something could change. And then actually seeing the fact that policy was able to kind of change yeah. within the next year, it went from, I think, so it was 7% films directed by women nominated for an for an actor the following year it was 20 percent of films directed by women that's That's what one year can change yeah Yeah, yeah. so um and part of that was that the judging was taken out it wasn't about judging it was about a criteria so you can Mm. be considered you can be considered um you know so so there's two rounds really you you can be considered in that cohort to be um eligible to be nominated and so all of the actor members then vote so that cohort of, I think it was 28 films the year, the year I was attempting to get in, those 28 films then go through, which mine did not make that cut, mm-hmm. then went to the actor members to vote on. Yeah. And so we were saying, okay, so what the hell is this judging process and who decides, what's the criteria? Because it's not just around the, you know, we were told that it was gender equal, but we weren't given any other details other than that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there is that, but it's also like, well, I'd love to know what the criteria is because that's not clear here. Uh, if you're going to make these decisions that affect the outcome, the the marketing ability of the film, you know, if a film gets nominated, then that opens up agents being interested. You know, it, it's career, it's career defining. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so n- now those the in order to make that cut, it's not it's a it's a threshold. Yes. If you meet this threshold, then the actor members can now vote. That is a lot more transparent and fair, yes. if you ask me. Oh, 100%. See, <laughs> again, drink whoever's drinking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, like, oh, it's just amazing. Like, it just goes to show you, like, you know, I think it's so important to stand up for what you believe. Yeah. And obviously now you have paved the way for all of us in the industry to now know what they're getting themselves into in these situations, which is so important. It's just bizarre that you would have to enter something and they'd be like, yeah, we might pick it. What are you judging it on? We can't tell you. It's like, what? Well, uh, yeah, that's right. Um, So look, and I think the thing is, is that's just one part of a whole industry worldwide that is um, geared to a very, very, small perspective you know of what you know the the perspective of storytellers there's so many people that are being missing from that you Mm -hmm. know um having diversity in storytellers is what makes storytelling so rich and unique and interesting um and we've been missing out on those perspectives for a long long time that's right yeah i think you know there's always that argument where people go yeah, but like, there's nothing wrong with male filmmakers. A hundred percent. There's nothing wrong with male filmmakers. But 
as a female in the industry, sometimes I want to watch a film that I can relate to. And can a man make a film that I can relate to? Yes. But you know who can also make a really good film (laughs) that I can relate to? A female filmmaker. And so when I want that, because females are half of the world's population, then why can't I have that? Oh, because male filmmakers are doing it. No, 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 no. I'm not saying there's anything wrong no, with that's them, right. You know? Look, hey, just, just a bit of equality, you know? Yeah. Like right now, um, our cinemas, well, not just cinemas, but our feature films in Australia, only 17% are directed by women. So let's flip that statistic. That's 83% of films are directed by men. Mm. I, have nothing, I, I have nothing against male directors, Plenty of my friends are male directors. We hear that one a lot. Don't we? I, I love women. I'm married to a woman. Yeah. Like, I have this one you. friend that's a woman. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's 80, 83% of films are directed by men. And I think what's really interesting is, so Sweden a few years ago brought in quotas. Well, actually, they weren't quotas. They were actually targets. So mm. there was no rule that they had to hit this target, um, but they had proper um, motivation and um and will, I guess, behind reaching that target. And that was um, gender parity for female directed films. And they reached that within a couple of years. And in fact, and people were like, oh, now you're just going to get crap films being made because you're just trying to get women films. There's already crap films being made and they're mostly by men. (laughs) Well, well, I mean, a quote that I love, um, so Kingston Anderson, who used to run the Directors Guild, Mm. would say, we don't have true gender equality until just as many mediocre films are made by women as are already made by men. (laughs) And so truly, truly. But the interesting thing was, is that after this, you know, this Swedish experiment, um, you know, they had exceeded 50-50 actually. And that year, the box office for local films was stronger than it had been. And they had more films in international festivals. Um, So really, really strong showing. So it showed that the quality was there. But having also said that, it's not saying that men are making films that are not as good in that instance. It's that these voices are fresh so we've had a hundred years of the same kind of perspective coming onto our screens Mm. and then you you're you're bringing like i i truly believe that women don't tell different stories to men we just have a different perspective on those stories and you know to go a step further as well it's really really important to us that we're intersectional i mean you know um women of color and um different sexuality all of that kind of stuff brings a different perspective to stories and and you can look at it and think oh god now we have to you know be pc we have to do this and this and i'm like don't you want interesting films don't you want interesting stories like when i go to the cinema i want to see a different world like or i want to see something i want to learn something and i'm not saying i have to has to be academic but it's like i want to see something and go wow you know and when you're looking through the eyes of somebody else and empathizing with that the way they live isn't that better for everybody mm-hmm. and isn't it more a satisfying experience yeah and i think also people forget that um we're not forcing them to watch films yeah. there's this thing where you um can like choose which films you want to see exactly turn it off if you don't like it go and watch a film that relates to you it's this yeah i don't understand that oh we have to be pc you don't have to watch no it if that's you don't right want to. yeah which this is just about um having the ability to even watch a blockbuster directed mm. by a woman, which is, you know, still a rarity. You know, it's, you know, going and seeing Wonder Woman. Um, that's crazy that that yeah. is such a new thing, you yeah. know. 
Um, yeah. yeah. But I mean, the great thing I will say is that I think a lot of the people coming up in the industry right now who are men, I think are amazingly supportive of equality in the industry. So I can see that it already is changing. Mm. And so, you know, the new people that are stepping into roles in the industry that are important are holding these same values that are important. And so that's like a great thing that we can say, you know, I think it's just putting having these perspectives in order that the change will come you know? yeah I think so there's and there's so many great allies out there you know I'm um, currently working with Enzo Tedeschi who is you know big in the Australian genre scene and has been since um you know the tunnel and a few years ago well probably 10 years ago now um <laughs> and so you know we worked together he, he came on board as executive producer on Dark Whispers so Dark Whispers is a curated horror anthology so it was 10 short horror films that I sought out by Australian women um, and then curated those 10 short horror films. And then I wrote and directed a wraparound to tie them all in together into mm. one feature. And Enzo had done something similar a few years ago. And I had saw, seen that and thought, ah, oh, I'd love to do that as like a feminist horror film. And so, you know, um, called him up and, 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 and to see if he could consult or mentor me so that I could get this film made. And so we ended up coming on board as an EP and Mm -hmm. worked really well together. And then I've worked with him since then on one of his projects. So, you know, there's there's really great people in the industry um, who do care about um, new voices and equality Mm -hmm. and and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, as much as... um, as much vocal kind of protesting and sausage partying sometimes has to happen. (laughs) I do feel like that, um, you know, the sausage having for me, protesting is, is a really, really important tool. And it's the tool that you use. This is my perspective and different people have different perspectives on this. Protesting is the tool you use when people aren't listening. Mm -hmm. And so up until that point, nobody was listening. So I, before we did the protest, I had written private letters to the CEO, to the head of the awards at ACTA. I had done all these private stuff and no one wanted to give me any answers. Mm. And it was at that time I was like, well, I don't have a voice. This is the only voice that I can get. Yeah. So, you know, I, I actually wasn't one of the sausages who did this, you know, went up on the party, <laughs> but was, you know, <laughs> went, up w- went and did the party on the red carpet, <laughs> but, you know, was part of the, um, you know, this was part of our campaign. That's right. Yeah. 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 So Sophie Matheson, who now runs for film's sake, was the, the lead sausage and the, the lead, lead organizer. Sausage. And, you know, she was the brain <laughs> behind the actual, the, the protest. And that was supporting the letter that was then going out on behalf yeah. of, of my film and me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is my point. Like protesting is, is the tool of, I feel like when you, your voice is not being heard, um, which is, you know, exactly what's happening right now as well with Black Lives Matters movement. Why yes. are people protesting? Because they don't have a voice. This yeah. is the only way to make them, themselves heard. And, you know, for people who are kind of going, well, why would you go and do that in the middle of a pandemic? Well, if you, if you feel like you are completely ignored and you feel powerless and this is the only way for you to reclaim it, and I'm not saying that, you know, our protests at all um, it resembles what's going on right now, but it's this idea of what protest is. Um, and for me now, once we did that protest in our industry, it made people take notice. Mm. And um, when people take notice and they're more willing to listen, and then you can choose more diplomatic routes, yeah. which is what we are currently in now. We want to work with industry to make make industry better. And there's a lot of goodwill there. But goodwill doesn't always mean immediate action. And that's what WIFT is for. WIFT is to put pressure Mm. to make people um, realize the importance of this stuff. Yeah. 
Well, I want to talk about um, WIFT. So currently the Mentor Her program is going on, which is a mentorship program in which you pair um, a mentor in the industry in um, many different roles with um, a mentee. Mm. I love the word mentee. I think <laughs> I don't know why. I just think it sounds kind of cute. Um, and so I'm like, I'm a mentee. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like manatee, I think. And that's a funny word. So (laughs) I'm like, is it minty? Like minty Minty. flavor or mentos? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So many different (laughs) things. Um, So that that is a program that you guys run through WIFT, which I am currently doing as a mentee with um, a mentor who is a producer talking me through a project. Um, And first off, I mean... In order to get into this program, you need to be a member of WIFT. And mind you, the membership fee is so low. I was like, how could you not just be a member of WIFT anyway? So initially for that, I loved that aspect of it, that it wasn't like $700 a year to yeah, be yeah. in WIFT, yep. like some other things that you have to sign up for in the industry, <laughs> not naming names. Um, yeah. And so low fees, which is like a given, like you can throw $60 a year over to WIFT. Yeah. And it's and only, then, I think it's only 20 if you're a student. Yes. And we also have low income as well. So we yes. know how difficult it is right now as well, but we know it's always difficult in our industry. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're somebody who is underemployed and not earning a whole lot there is a lower rate too yeah which is like it just speaks volumes that you actually are here to help people in the industry rather than being like oh we're an organization that you have to pay for it's like "Mm." but um yeah so then uh the mentor her program obviously you have to um have something that you you want to be um helped with and this year specifically was amazing because i know that you had so many mentees Mm. wanting to be mentored that you um, initially couldn't accept a lot of people, but then you guys went away and went, you know what, this is actually really important that all these women have all these ideas. And you went back and then got more mentors to either take on more mentees or you got other Mm. people. And I just like, I found that so amazing that you would put that work in, in order to help us. So Mm. that was great. And I've had such a great experience with my mentor as well. So I highly recommend when this comes back next year as well. We try, we try and do it annually. Um, but we, we are mostly a volunteer run organization. We, Mm. we have got a couple of part-time, um, people that we, uh, a staff member and a couple of project managers. Um, but yeah, the mentor program was huge. So we had, Mm. I can't remember how many people exactly applied. I think it was about 250 maybe but we ended up matching almost 200 mentees Mm. with mentors and Mm. you know I think the difference between so our mentor program um, what we have found has worked in our career is having a mentor you know there's a mentor who you can um, aspire to Mm -hmm. but those people who who you aspire to, they're like 10 or 20 years ahead of you. Yes. So the pathway for them, it's different now. You know, a lot's changed since they were where you were. And um, so it's more about finding mentors who are just ahead of you or, you know, maybe five years ahead or something like that so that um, they can give you real world kind of on the ground advice around, um, mm-hmm. you know, how to navigate the industry and stuff like that. And, you know, it's three one-hour sessions over three months. So it's not a huge commitment, which makes it easier for us to get mentors um but yeah it just it's kind of nice to have somebody um 
to kind of have your back a little bit and to ask yes. those questions you're not quite sure that you can ask elsewhere. Yeah, well, I was saying to you before, it's just nice because um, I'm writing a pitch Bible at the moment for a series. And, you know, I could have sent that to friends in the industry and been like, hey, can you give me advice on this? But it's one taking up someone's time mm. that they're not getting anything in return for. And, and two, it's kind of, you know, I don't, it's this awkward, like, how much am I allowed to ask before yeah. I'm, like, overloading this person? So it was such a great opportunity to, like, sit down and be like, okay, tell me exactly what I need mm. to be writing in terms of documents and then give me all of the feedback on those documents because that's what this relationship is. Yeah, for, yeah. It's, it's, the expectations are really clear. Yeah. And, um, you know, we had a really great team working on it. So Katrina Irrawaddy-Graham, who's um, the WIF chair and we also had um Kristen Hodges and Maria Tedeschi who came on board as well to help with just matching you know we had this mad spreadsheet of you know <laughs> like people's background and what state they lived in and uh you know what role they wanted and this matrix thing I don't know it was crazy but mm. um yeah it was it was uh, you know the team did a really good job and obviously so the way WIFT Australia is structured is we have a board member in every single state and territory yes. and each each um state um, helped manage the um, mentoring process for the people from their state. Um, mm. And obviously they could all switch over and stuff as well between other states. Um, but yeah, yeah. yeah, so we've got, um, you know, representation across Australia. Mm, yeah, it's great. Um, before we wrap up, I want to know what um, what kind of things are in the pipeline for WIFT slash yourself what guy what are you kind of aiming for in the next yeah. few years so WIFT so like I said WIFT is still predominantly volunteer run we're trying to professionalize the organization essentially so um, WIFT we are hoping to grow to get bigger we've we've done all of our solidification stuff you know we've transitioned from New South Wales up to WIFT Australia you know we had a great mentor program um, we've got ScreenMate which is an ethical bystander program we ran our first pilot program at the end of last year and that's around you know, something we're rolling out um, at film schools, but also within the industry around, you know, if you see something not right on set, whether that be sexual harassment or, you know, racist remarks or sh stuff that's just not right. Like, how do you be an ethical bystander? What are the things that mm. you can do that can help you speak up? And it doesn't necessarily mean speak up in the moment to the person because that might not be safe, but giving you a set of tools to be able to navigate those situations to make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, sure. You know, this is Harvey Weinstein. You know, all the Me Too stuff was very, very important to us at WIFT. Yeah. Um, Raising Films Australia is another initiative. So we do a lot around parents and carers in the screen industry is a massive exit point for women um, and so we have a whole arm and initiative around that um, so we did a really big survey um, that came out in 2018 um, that basically said you know 74% of, of uh, parents or carers say that that's negatively impacted their career in the screen industry so what can we be doing in order to reverse that and that's definitely part of the problem the statistics of gender yeah. participation um, so there's, there's heaps going on. There's heaps I love going this. on. But, I'm um, so excited. Yeah. So there's so much. There's so much work to be done. Um, we we are not even close to finishing gender equality battle. But there's a lot of hope, I think, and there's a lot of amazing people out there, a lot of allies, and a lot of um, you know women who are helping each 
other too. Mm. Um, you know, when I first made Crush, I didn't even really think about the gender makeup of my crew. You know, I made it, it was very important to me to have strong female characters, but I didn't really even think about that in my crew. And now I do, you know? Yes. Um, but me personally, so Dark Whispers, we are, we were on the festival circuit. We were uh, <laughs> over in um, um, Silicon Valley at Cinequest Film Festival doing our North American premiere for Dark Whispers when COVID hit. And so we did get our screening in before everything shut down, oh, but good. quickly came back to Australia. Um, so we are now, um, yeah, film festivals, we're just writing them off really. And we're going to, uh, we're just in the midst of trying to get us uh, our sales and distribution sorted. So we're hoping that Dark Whispers is out before Halloween, seeing as it's a oh, horror yes. anthology. Yes. So keep your ears out. Um, mm-hmm. And I've also got an episode. So Enzo, who I mentioned was the EP. Mm-hmm. So he um, has a project called Dead House Dark that he um uh, created with uh, Rachel Wiggins, which is a another horror anthology, but it's <laughs> more like Black Mirror. So oh, I directed sure. an episode, wrote and directed an episode of that, and that should be coming out. It's supposed to be at Khan's series, which got postponed. Yes. And maybe on in October. Okay. But we'll see if anything can screen in October. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh my goodness me! So many things yes. happening for you. I'm so excited. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on the podcast today and giving me your time and coming and risking COVID nineteen <laughs> <laughs> to be here, but not really because we're pretty much past it. So it's yes. Um, but yes, thank you so much. I'll yeah. link all of the whiff stuff below as well as your article that you wrote and everything else Um, but thank you and we will speak to you soon great thank you